We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer uh, before we get started in our message. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are. Lord, I find that the more I learn of you, the more I want of you. The more I know about you, Lord, the more I want of you. You are a God that desires us to follow you. And you are a God to be desired and yet a God to be feared. And you are a God of love and a God of wrath. And you are a God that is eternal and yet a God that works in the moment as well. You are a God that shows mercy, Lord, and a God that is jealous. You are a God that is transcendent, and yet, God, you are intimate in our lives. You are a God that is omnipresent, yet a God that is involved in our lives as individuals. You are a self-sufficient and self-existent God. You are an infinite and impartial God. You are long-suffering and loving. And you are beyond our understanding, and yet today, God, we call on you to teach us, to reveal to us, to illuminate your word, to convict our hearts, to make us into men and women that will be set apart for you. We love you for who you are and what you've done, and God, what you are doing in our lives as individuals and in this community of Celia Lake and across our nation and worldwide. Father, we pray this morning that You be glorified, that You be honored through the preaching and teaching of Your Word. And I pray, God, that in my inadequacy and in my inabilities that You will fill me and empower me with the Holy Spirit, that I might speak the truth of Your Word and that it might be useful for the body. We just ask for this time in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, for those that have been visiting, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, and we'll probably be there for a while. Uh, We looked uh, last week at verses 6 to 9, and and really we went all the way into 12, but the one, the the passages we really highlighted was verses 6 to 9, and we learned about rejoicing in three different aspects of our encouragement and our hope. We saw that as it was given in verses 3 to 5. We saw our living hope. We saw our secure inheritance. And we also saw our protected salvation. And these are really elements that bring about joy in our souls. And while life can obviously become rocky and and tough and hard, and trials can be given, our joy as believers and followers of Christ should remain. You may not be happy, you may be going through some hard times, but the reality is is we all should have an inner joy that is irremovable. And I think about Christ as He wept. And I think, was, was, God, was Jesus happy as He cried and wept? And I say, no, maybe not. But really, His joy was complete. We looked also at uh, a faith that ended with results. A faith that ends with faith and honor and glory at the revelation to come. That is Christ Jesus. And with the last idea, we looked at faith and that it was proven through love. We looked at the love of Christ. How we've loved Him though unseen, we still love Him. Though unseen, we still believe Him. And these were the three main ideas of last week's message that we looked at. Many of them... We're in the indicative. Now you say, what in the world does that mean? Well, that's what I thought when I read about it. But as I studied through college, I learned what indicative was. And basically, it's an expression of a simple statement or fact. And so in the the first 12 verses that we've looked at, they all flow through really the indicative. Peter is making statements and facts about certain things. Well, this week, Peter shifts. From the indicative to the imperative. And the imperative is a verb that expresses a command, exhortation, or an admonishment such as, come here, 
That would be the difference. And so this week he makes a shift. And these imperatives really can be hard for us sometimes because they are exhortations. They are admonishments to us as believers and unbelievers as well. But my encouragement to you today is to view these exhortations or admonishment as a positive thing. Allowing each of us the opportunity for God to make us more into the image of Christ. This is my hope. The glass could be half empty or it could be half full, however you look at it. But my hope today is that you will view it in a positive fashion. I pray that we will take this opportunity today to grow closer into our relationship with the Lord through these commands. In Acts 20, uh, verse 31, we see a very famous man, a man that's well respected, that I admire, that I'm sure many of you admire, that I consider to be a preacher that preaches with love, compassion, and that's what he is, and this is what he said. He said this therefore, be on alert. Remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul felt it very necessary to admonish night and day for three years with tears. He loved his people and I love you. And so let's take these admonishments as an opportunity to grow closer to our Savior and our relationship with Jesus Christ. The message is from Peter, and he's admonishing you and I both today. And so with that said, let us continue. We've been building this outline of 1 Peter since we started. Now, the reality is, is there may be other outlines that are more professional, more profound than the ones that I've come up with, but this is the one that I've been working on as I started working through 1 Peter. And if you remember, we looked at the salutation in the first two verses of chapter 1. And then there in, in, in chapter 1 all the way into chapter 2 of verse 12, we see Peter's response to the Christian's salvation. Okay? And then the three messages that we've given was Peter's prayer of thanksgiving in verses 3 to 5. We see Peter's praise of a proven faith in verses 6 to 9. And then the, the continuation of our outline today is Peter's direction for holy living. Now as I was overlooking my sermon this morning, I made a change. I put Peter's plea for holy living. And so if you just want to make that change in your notes, that'll be fine. Peter's plea for holy living. And we see that through verses 13 to 16. That's our passage of Scripture that we'll be looking at this morning. And we see He wants us to take time for preparation in the first part of verse 13. In the last part of verse 13, He wants us to take time for concentration. And in verse 14, He wants us to take time for affirmation. And then finally in verses 15 and 16, He wants us to take time for replication. Okay, with that out of the way, let us get right into our text this morning. If you will, turn with me to 1 Peter 1, 13-16. And if you don't have your Bibles this morning, that's okay. We've made slides for you. Although I would like to encourage you to bring your Bibles with you. God can speak to you uh, as you are sitting there in your seats, thumbing through the Bible. Uh, he uses it as we heard from Gideon this morning, to change lives. I am but a man, I'm the preacher, the teacher of the Word of God, but it's the Word of God that changes lives. And so when we thumb through the Bible, God can use it to teach us and illuminate something to us that can change our lives. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, let us know we would be more than delighted to get you your own copy. And so let us... Uh, Look at the text this morning. Turn with me, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. It reads this, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, 
for I am holy. Well, as we look at these verses, what is the key word here in verse 13? It's therefore. Okay, and so when we see the word therefore, as it starts a verse of passage, what should we ask ourselves? What is therefore, therefore? It's a pretty important piece of the passage here. It could be translated, so then. It could be uh, said this way, as a result of all of this, this, prepare your minds for action. Okay, and so really we can make two observations from this first verse of Scripture here in 13. Uh, The first observation that we make is this a new section. Well, what do you mean a new section, Stuart? Well, as I said earlier, we have just come out of the indicatives, now into the imperatives. The first 12 verses were statements and facts to build us up, and now in 13 and 16 and ongoing, we're going to have a lot more indicatives that are going to teach us and command us to live a certain way. And so the second thing we can notice... is the connection between the first section and the section section. How, can, how does that connect? Well, he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Therefore, because what I've told you in verse 12, in the last 12 verses, this last section, in this section you are to do these things. I've given you many statements and facts because of these things you are to do about what I'm about to reveal to you. Therefore, that is what is therefore, as a reminder of the hope that we were given, the secure inheritance that we were given, the protected salvation that we were given, the reality that we're only strangers here in this world. These are the things, therefore, prepare your minds for action. This brings us to our first point this morning. Number one, we need to take time for preparation. I really enjoy seeing Peter's methodology in his setting up for a change into a new section of Scripture. He gives us the goody first. He gives us the promises, the encouragement. He makes the rewards known to us. Then after all of this is set forth, he gives us the instruction. Now I don't know about you, but sometimes I need this encouragement. Sometimes I need this hope. Sometimes I need... to to know the reward that's coming before I'm told what to do. Sometimes it's called good preparation. And one of my favorite things is the six P's. Now, I don't know if you may have heard of them, you may not. The six P's is proper preparation prevents poorly performed performance. That's the six P's. And you know, sometimes my preparation is not done in a fashion that works for the best. Is it wrong? Well, not necessarily. But is it the best? Probably not. But Peter teaches us a great lesson through this in about transitioning from statements and facts to admonishment. He builds us up, then he gives us the godly instructions. And that's what we're looking at today. You know, if you're going to set out to reach a goal... Uh, I would think that you would have to focus on what you were trying to do and prepare for that. If I was going to run a race or a marathon, you bet I would have to focus on what I was doing how I was preparing for that. And sometimes that physical preparation and sometimes that's mental preparation. You know, turkey season started on the 15th of March here in Montana last Sunday. And I make it known to you that it was Sunday morning because Satan has a way of tempting us. Now I can't speak on behalf of you, but I love turkey hunting. And therefore, you know, it's just like Sunday morning back in South Carolina, the water's always really slick. It's a temptation to skip out on church and, and go out and go hunting or fishing. But really, the point I'm trying to make is that I had to prepare my mind for this hunt. I'm not from this area. I don't, you know, I look out here and this place intimidates me. These are big mountains. We have like hills in South Carolina. And so I had to prepare. Number one, I asked around, where's turkeys? I've been here for 10 months and I've seen one. 
where the turkey is. And so I got some direction, and so I got out my maps, and I laid them out, and I started preparing. All right, well, this is private property. This is public property. And so for three days, I drove out in the afternoons, and, and I made some observations. I, I made some calls. I heard some turkeys, and so I knew there was turkeys there. But I had to prepare my mind for action. Okay, and so when I finally got down to it, I said, all right, I feel comfortable. I can hunt on this piece of property. I can park here because in South Carolina, you get put in prison if you park on somebody's property. And so we want to make sure, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to be the pastor in prison. You know, I'd be looking for a Gideon Bible or something. But really, I tell you this because the six Ps, the result of proper preparation resulted in successful performance. Peter tells us to prepare our minds for action. Be ready in your thinking. Gird up your loins, the loins of your mind. Uh, Because really, I say gird up your loins of your mind, some of you may not be aware, but in the Middle East, when people were about to take on a tough task, they girded up their gown. And they, they tied it up with a belt so that I wouldn't weigh them down or hold them up. And so they would gird up their robes. Well, in our day, I guess we would say, buckle up your bootstraps, roll up your sleeves, prepare yourself mentally. That's what he's trying to tell us. Look, Satan is your worst enemy. But your second and most dangerous enemy apart from that is your own mind. And if we can be fooled in our minds to thinking something, if we're not prepared in our minds, prepared for action, boy, we can really be led astray. That is why we need to think well about what we are doing and what we are about to do. Have a mind ready for action, for learning, to be on alert. This is important. And we as Christians don't live lives without prepared minds to learn and listen and follow God's instructions. We need to have a time of preparation. We can bring, we can begin to do these things in many different ways, but one way we can begin to prepare our mind is through prayer. Through prayer. Prayer is a great way to prepare our minds for action. Really, every day as we as we leave our homes and we go out into the real world of life, we should have prepared minds before we ever leave. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to have my mind prepared before I ever step out of the bed. Because life comes at us a million miles an hour. And if our minds are not focused and prepared for action we may fail that day. Oh, we're probably going to fail, but our point here and our objective here is to prepare our minds for action so that we don't fail as much. As your pastor, I've failed a lot. But as I grow in my faith and I grow closer to Jesus Christ, I learn that I must prepare my mind for action daily. More and more and more. Because I began to see the battle, the spiritual battle that's going out in front of us. Peter says, look, I've given you a hope. I've given you encouragement. I've explained what's proven faith looks like. I've made known to you that the angels long to look at these things of Christ. Now prepare your minds. And you know, the mind is talked about throughout God's Word. Dianoia, uh, that's the Greek word. And in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, he talks about this. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And Ephesians 4, 18 says, Being darkened in their understanding. Okay, the Greek word there is translated understanding, but it's the same Greek word as mind. And so, being darkened in their understanding excluded from the life of God because of their ignorance this is it, that, that is in them because of their hardness of hearts. You know, the mind is an important part of our lives. 
Romans 12.2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Our outfits, our cars, our homes, our situations. No, what? Our minds. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is an important part. Our minds are killers. You know, I can't help but think of the stories that uh, we heard this morning about people willing to take their lives. You know what? They're not right in their mind. They're not prepared for action. And we need to make sure because the reality is, is every one of us can be put in the same situation. We're no better than that person in the closet. Our minds are just like their minds. The only difference is those who are in Christ have been transformed from the inside out. And we hope that through the power and the Holy Spirit we can change those ways of thinking. When we have those thinking negatives that we can say, you know what God, this is not of you. Uh, this is of the enemy. And therefore we, we, we go back to a prepared mind. Memorizing of Scripture. Hidden in our hearts. We go back to those things. And so we need to think biblically, not just earthly. It's easy to do though. But he also says here in verse 13, keep sober in spirit. The word used here for sober gives the idea of abstaining from wine. The NIV says, be self-controlled. The King James Version says, be sober. Keep a clear head, is what he's saying. Prepare your minds for actions and keep a clear mind. Have you ever been around someone that has just simply drank too much? He's drunk. They're not of a clear mind. Their, their, their brain and their mind are fogged with alcohol and they're not of a clear conscience. And that's what he's trying to tell us here. We need to be of clear minds. We as believers are to be aware and on alert, keeping full control of our ability to think and to act in order to do what we must do. And in order to do that, we must be sober in spirit. We can't go drink ourselves into drunkenness and be of minds prepared for action. Be sober. The NIV uh, and the New American Standard says, Be sober in spirit. Peter knows well that these men and women are facing trying times. And really the pressures of life are bailing down on them. And only their minds are capable of keeping them from going away. Their minds, they're focused. Those that are on Christ... These are the ones that can stand the pressures of life when it begins to bear down on it. Only those minds that are focused on the task ahead will have the ability to stand in times of need. Have you ever wondered how an unbeliever can go through a, a situation and a believer go through a situation, both of them absolutely horrible, one falls to pieces, the other though he's hurt, stands firm. Why? Because their mind is prepared for action. They understand their, who they are in Christ. They understand this inner joy. Their minds are prepared for the worst. And when things happen to us as believers and followers of Christ, we need to be ready to stand in those times of needs. We need to take time for preparation of our mind. But number two, we also need to take time for concentration. With a mind prepared for action and time taken for concentration on the grace of God, we can accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. We can accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit. And then he says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's calling all of us as followers of Christ to place our complete trust in Jesus. 
Not only in what God has done, but what God will do through Christ yet. You see, the hope is not in a person, but it's in an object. And their hope is in the grace that will be brought about at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ. These people are living in hard times. And Peter knows that they're going to experience, if they're not already experiencing, persecution in their lives. And he's wanting to draw them a picture of what grace is going to be given at the second coming of Christ. Yes, they already have those that have received Christ the Holy Spirit and salvation in Christ. But oh, that day when the, come, the King comes again, That grace we see will be amazing. No more suffering. No more pain. Oh, that grace will be rewarding. You set your mind on these things, he says. You see your inheritance is waiting. Your your protected salvation already exists. Therefore, fix your hope on these things. Listen, when, when that turkey came in and I was set up, and I was looking down that red dot scope, you can bet I was fixed on that turkey. I wasn't moving, I wasn't doing anything but looking, thinking, waiting, fixed on that turkey. And you know what? We need to fix our hope in our day. We need to begin to fix our hope on the grace that comes through the work of Christ and the grace that will be fulfilled at His coming. You know, when things barrel down, when our finances are in shambles, when our lives seem to be falling apart, if we're not focused on what's going to happen, boy, watch out, because our mind's going to attack us. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, today, don't place your hope in false things. Don't focus on things that have no heavenly value. They are sure to fail you. But I plead for you to fix your hope on your inheritance to come. And your Jesus that is to be revealed, that's our hope. We should be concentrating on these things. You see, this life will be gone soon for each of us. And the older I get, the more that becomes a reality. The older my children get, the more that becomes a reality. As I was looking on my computer at my little blonde-headed boy, how fast they grow up. It made me think, God, I, I want to I be here to see them grow up, young men. But the reality is, 12 months a year for the next 30 years is only 360 months. I'll be 64 if I make it that long. Many here today will be gone. Listen, I think it's something we don't think near enough about. is stepping into eternity. You know why? Because our hope is not fixed on what's going to happen. Our hope is not fixed on the return of Christ. Listen, He's coming here, we go there, it really makes no difference. Our, our focus needs to be on the next life. We need to live our life for the sake of Christ to teach people about Jesus and His ways, but our focus should be on the revelation of Jesus Christ to come. It won't matter how much you've saved up. It won't matter what you've accomplished in this, on this earth. Everything will boil down to what you have done for the Lord. All of the treasures you bring will be tested with fire and many will be burned away. And as I preach every Sunday, I wonder how many times I've preached in vain and will be burned away. We need to focus on the future. And if your focus and your concentration is on your retirement, having fun traveling the world, your focus is wrong. Now, is those things wrong in themselves? Of course not. No one in here would tell you retirement's wrong, thinking about retirement's wrong, traveling the world is wrong. None of those things are wrong in themselves. But they should not be the center of our focus. When we wake up in the morning, we don't go to work so that we can earn a retirement. We go to work so that we can serve God in what we do and reach somebody in the workplace for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we're focused on what's ahead, not what's here. 
These things are going to be gone. They're going to perish. They're going to be burned with fire. Fix your hope on the coming of Christ. He's going to be the one that meets us there. And people need you. In the workplace, in the daily lives, people in this church need you. They need some of the blessings that have been poured out on you to be poured out on them. They need your encouragement. And they need to to know that your focus is on the grace to come because when you focus on the grace to come, it allows them to focus on the grace to come. We need to take time for preparation. Yes, we need that for our minds. We need time to take time for concentration on the things to come. But also we need to take time for affirmation. Well, what in the world's that got to do with anything? Affirmation. What do we need to have affirmed? Well, let's look at verse 14 and see what it tells us. 14 says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. As obedient children, we want to have the affirmation, number one, that we're children of God. Now, I can only speak for Stuart Guthrie. I can't speak for any of you. Only you know, number one, if you're affirmed in the body of Christ. If you've ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've ever trusted in Christ, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, I can't answer that for you. You can claim, yes, I'm a Christian, but the reality is, I don't know that. In our culture, everybody's a Christian. Cultural Christianity is fluent in our culture. The question is, do you really trust that the death of Jesus Christ took your place on Calvary? Because unless you understand that and trust that and believe that, boy, you better test your faith. The second thing that we need to affirm is that we're obedient children of God. Because here Paul really seems to give the thought or the idea that these people were obedient followers of Christ. Okay? They were obedient children. How do we know that? Well, context, context, context. Verse 22 tells us, Since you have an obedience to the truth. These folks are obedient children. Okay? And so because they're obedient children... We need to be obedient children. And I don't know about you, but I want to take some time in my own life, in my own daily devotional, my quiet time, I want to make sure and affirm that I'm an obedient child of God. Because again, remember, our minds are our worst enemies. We can walk around thinking we're being obedient while we're living in blatant sin. You know why I know that? Because I've done it. I've justified it. But listen, young people, you can date an unbeliever and in your mind justify that that's okay. But the Bible teaches that we're not to be unequally yoked. But we can justify that in our minds. Listen, we need to evaluate our lives to make sure that we're true, obedient children of God. And it's okay when we find out we're not. That's where we need to be. At a place where we can say, God, I've been foolish this, t- this whole time thinking I've been living this way, and yet, God, deep down inside, I know that I'm wrong. I just, I need to repent and turn back to God. And guess what? We grow. We grow closer and closer in our sanctification. We grow closer to being more like the image of Christ. These people were obedient children. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a life of disobedience. And as your pastor, I don't want to see you live a life this way either. And this passage pre-assumes that it's possible for an obedient child of God to can be conformed to the former lusts they once had. This is a real temptation for those in Christ. You know why? Because we're sinful. We've been saved by grace... But we're still sinful. And so, you see, we are conformed 
in small steps. A little of this, a little of that. Next thing you know, it's full-blown. It starts with a look. It starts with a nice gesture. An out-of-place compliment. An out-of-place meeting. An emotional desire. And the next thing you know, it's full-blown adultery. This world has a way of drawing you to itself. Oh, it promises you great things. It promises you quick gratification. Just look at these infomercials. You want to lose weight quick? Just buy this workout. It'll make you skinny. It's quick. Everything's quick gratification. It says, oh, come on in. It's innocent. It promises to build you up. Oh, the outside looks great, but the inside is like raging storms. And will ruin your life. And my hope is that we will evaluate to make sure we're being obedient children. It's not my job to tell you you're disobedient. It's my job to encourage you to evaluate your own life. And allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of your disobedience. God is who convicts me of my disobedience. And sometimes we can talk to each other if we see our brothers and sisters stumbling and walking in sin. We can come to them and say, Brother, that's not of God. I love you and I I don't want to see you hurt. That's one way we can do it. You know, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking of something that conforms so slow that you almost can't even notice it. It's almost unseen. And as I sit here and I ponder this, I thought, what, in the, what is it that conforms so slow that we can't barely see it? And I thought, well, you know, if I can get my ring off here. My hands are swollen. You know, when I, when I had this ring made, it was beautiful. Gold. Now it's all scratched up and dinged. But when I bought it, it was a perfect circle. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you've been married for at least 10 years, I know because I've been married for 10 years. When you look at your ring, it's no longer a circle. You know why? Because it's conformed to your finger. Mine turns and almost bends at an angle. But it fits my finger perfect. And so that was the perfect illustration. This is what happens to us in our daily lives. As we begin to to take in things of the world. What do we do? We become conformed to the world without even noticing it. And the only thing that lets us know that's not right is this. And if we're not in this, then this looks like a perfect circle because I never looked at it. And so how do I know it's not? Because I had to evaluate it. I had to look at it and go, all right, well, it's not circle. That's what we need to do in our lives. We need to evaluate to make sure that we haven't been conformed without knowledge. It's a long road, folks. Some shorter than others. But we see unexpected uh, things uh, that come in can conform us And if you and I don't listen to the admonishment of Peter and not be conformed to our former lust, you can bet we'll be shaped to a form that we don't want unaware. And the next thing you know, we seem normal and everyone else seems wrong. You date that unbeliever long enough and you will justify in your mind it's okay. You keep, keep that drinking up and you will say, oh, one more won't hurt. It will take you over the edge. You keep watching that stuff on TV and it will dull your mind and conform you to think it's okay. You keep looking at those pictures long enough and you will begin to heed the sinful desires of your heart. And it will be okay in your own mind. We must prepare our minds for action. And we must affirm within our own hearts that we're obedient children of God.
Peter wants us to understand that he is commanding you and I today to stop heeding sinful desires and start living our lives in obedience and holiness to God. And as I was preparing this message yesterday, I thought, what is it? What is it, Lord, you want me to say? And as I did my devotional, I came across self-control. And really, this whole message boils down to self-control. At least this point of the message. And we need to ask ourselves, are we living lives of self-control? And I thought, man, I, I don't, I'm not the one to be talking about this. I'm not. That, you, know, you sure you want me to talk about self-control? And this one's a hard one for me. If you're a Christian, then we should be obedient. But Peter is making it known that there are some obviously not living in obedience or at least turning back to the old ways of life. When we are living in obedience, we express self-control. When we are not living in obedience, we are not expressing self-control. We're fulfilling the desires of our flesh, ourselves, our own heart. You see, self-control is a discipline. It's delaying whatever it is that you want, your impulse, your desire, your self-gratification for something of a greater purpose. Something you're putting away that you really want for a greater purpose. You see, that self-control could be your eating. It's a sin to overeat. It's called gluttony. Can we work on this? Listen, I can. I love to eat. You couldn't tell that. I'm sure I'm so skinny. I love food. But we have to become more disciplined in what we do with our bodies. You could lack self-control in all of these areas. Food. Anger. TV. What do you mean TV? Well, you know, sometimes we're addicted to TV. <laughs> and we don't limit how much we spend staring into a box of entertainment. Lust. I know no men in here struggle with that. Drinking. Having too much fun. Is having, there's a country song, too much fun, what's that mean? Or something like that, I can't remember it. There's no such thing as too much fun. Yeah, too much fun can be bad. Hunting, fishing, snowmobiling, skiing, four-wheeling. You know what, as your pastor studying can be a bad thing for me. If I spend all of my day in there, all day, all in the way into the evening and never disciple my own family... I've got a problem. Because this is a ministry. Now you fill in the blanks. The list could go on and on and on and on. The question is, self-control, are we doing it? And I think we could all say, Stuart, and Stuart could say, we can work on this. I want to make sure that my life is filled with self-control. And that I'm experiencing fruits of the Spirit. Proverbs 25-28, it was our Scripture reading this morning. It says this, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. And I don't want to be known for a man whose walls are broken down. That may not, have any, that may not make any sense to you. But one trip to Israel, and you'll understand that. One trip to the Holy Land, you'll understand that a wall was their protection. A wall was their safety net. And when a wall was broke down, the enemy could get in. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. If you are living in a lack of self-control, you need to address the issue. Listen, I've worked on my own. 
I've prayed. I've asked God to grow me and make me more into the image of Christ in all of these areas of my self-control. You have to do that for yourselves. And all I want to do this morning is bring some ideas to you to make you think in your own minds about where you maybe need to change a little. It will take you back to the formal things that were yours in your ignorance. Here's a passage that would be a good one to memorize in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the desires of the flesh. For these things are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. The ESV says things that you want to do. I like what it says in the King James Version. So that you cannot do the things you would. You see, if we're living by the Spirit, you cannot do the things that you desire in the flesh. Because the Holy Spirit convicts you so much that you can't close your eyes at night. And if you don't have that conviction, you better evaluate where you are in the Lord. Because if we can just live our lives in habitual sin, doing things that are against the will of God without any conviction, we have a big problem. We have a big, big problem in our walk with the Lord. When we are prepared in our minds for action, when we are sober in spirit, of a clear mind, and we are fixed on the grace that has come at the, as, at the grace that is to come at the second coming of Jesus, and we are living as obedient children of God, living by the Spirit, you cannot do these things you want to do. You may do it for a second, but I hope you're convicted in your heart about it. But when we are doing the things we want and we're not living by the Spirit and therefore we're not opposed to the flesh, we're not prepared in mind, we're not sober in our thinking, we're not focused on the grace that is to come, we're focused on what we want right now. And the walls of our lives are down. The walls of protection in our lives are broken and we are attacked by the enemy. And His objective is to get you back to the former things of life. To where you have no impact for the kingdom of God. That's what He wants. He can't remove your salvation if you're truly saved, but He can prevent you from being effective for the kingdom work that's been set before you. Oh, you can, through the grace of Christ, the mercy of God, we can be changed from the inside out quickly. But we must begin to walk by the Spirit. Listen, He doesn't leave us, we leave Him. The Holy Spirit is like an umbrella. And as long as you're under the umbrella, you're with the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we want to step out the, outside of the umbrella. Or we want to hold on to the umbrella. We just we won't push Him away for a minute. So we can focus on what we want. And the rain starts hitting us and we start getting wore down, and then you go, you know what, we better get back under the umbrella. That's what we do. And so we need to evaluate our, our lives to make sure we're being obedient, to make sure we are performing self-control. Those are the, the things we need to do, and the first step in that process is, number one, is to admit. You know, it's, the hardest thing is to admit that we, we're wrong. We don't want to be known for... People who are wrong. First John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's not from God. 
And I believe we can work on this, all of us. And we must say, Lord, I'm not very self-controlled. I'm not very focused in my thinking. I'm more earthly focused. I'm more focused on what, what I want my kids to do. What I want my kids to grow up to be. We can be focused so much on earthly we're no heavenly use. We can say, I don't want to go back to the ways of life, the way they were before I knew Christ. Look, it's a healthy struggle to struggle with these things. And if you're sitting there this morning, and you know I'm talking to you, it's God speaking through me, it's not me talking to you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to convict hearts. And He wants you to admit and repent and allow the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. To make you holy. Yes, we need to prepare our minds for action. We need to concentrate. We need to affirm these things. But lastly, number four, we need to take time for replication. What does replication mean? Well, I'm, I'm thinking most probably know what it is. But back in the South, uh, there, living the beach life, many people drove these old, beautiful cars, these old, beautiful trucks. And as a young man, I thought, man, that thing looks brand spanking new. And so I thought it was. But the older I got, I found out that these beautiful cars and trucks were a replication of the original. They weren't really the old car. They were a replication of it. They looked like it, but they weren't really it. They weren't old, but they looked just like it. Verse 15 says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. What does your replication look like? Are you reflecting the Holy One that called you? Look, I know that legalism is not a good thing. And I know that term is tossed to and fro here and there. All around really loosely. But Peter, Peter tells us that we are to be holy ourselves in all of our behavior. You can call it legalism or whatever the case may be. We are called to be holy people set apart for the sake of Christ. Every Christian, every slave, stranger, woman, men, young people, you and I are called to be moral agents for Jesus Christ. We are called to be holy and He wants us to be living lives as people called out of this world of sin into a life of holiness. God expects everything we do, think and say to be done in holiness. Do we? Of course not. So what do we do? Well, we confess daily. We confess daily in our lives. Say, Lord, help us, because you and I are not perfect. That doesn't mean we can't strive for perfection. Jesus taught us this lesson on the Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't just Peter. Peter's not a crazy man teaching, oh, we need to live perfect lives. But what does Jesus say? Matthew 5.48 says this, Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Stuart, you're crazy. There's no way we can be perfect. I agree. I agree. But the best interpretation of Scripture is Scripture. Again, I don't believe that we can experience perfection in this life. And I think that will happen when we see Jesus Christ face to face. But we can sure strive for it. Right? You know, growing up I played lots of baseball. All year long, I played baseball. From about five years on, all the way up to my third year in college, I played baseball. Winter, spring, summer, and fall. I never batted 100%. Ever. But you know what? Every day I went out in that game, I strived to bat 100%. I practiced. I prepared my mind. I hit that ball every day at practice over and over and over so that when I did get in the game, I could bat 100%. 
I never batted 100%, but I sure tried. And we need to do the same in our walk with holiness. We get so caught up in this culture on grace, 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 that we forget God desires us to live holy lives. And I know we're going to fail, but let us try to live holy lives set apart. Not to receive the gift of salvation, but because we love our Father. He who loves me keeps my commandments. What it says in John 14. Obey because of love. And it starts out with a true, genuine repentance. Admitting, listen, that you are a sinner. And that you don't have it all right. That's okay. I don't have it all right. I'm a sinner. As your pastor, I'm okay with telling you that. But God is working on me every day. And I hope He's working on you every day. We can be become better self-controlled people in all of our actions and in all of our behaviors. You know why? Because Christ has made it possible that you might have a life of victory. Jesus didn't come so we could be defeated people. No, He came that we might have victory, that we might have life and have that life abundantly. But the thief, He comes to kill, steal, and destroy and take it away forever. That's what He wants. But we it's been made possible through Jesus Christ that we can have victory. That we can live holy lives. Yes, we might not live every day, but you know what? We're going to try. That's what we want. Defeat comes from the enemy, but victory is rooted in Christ alone. Oh, today you can leave this building as a new man, a new woman. And begin to live your life holy and set apart. You may be terrible at it at first. But you know what? I couldn't hit a baseball when I first started. It took years of practice before I could put them over the fence. And so when you come here today and you say, you know what, Stuart, I don't know Jesus Christ in this, and you're telling me about all this holy living, that's over my, that's over my head. And all I'm saying is today can be the first day of the rest of your life. And you can live holy lives. It may be a struggle in the beginning, but God will begin to grow you and make you more and more into the image of Christ so that when you see Him face to face, He'll say what? Well done, my good and faithful servant. I've been reading a book called 50 People Everyone Should Know by Warren Wiersbe. And I see lives living for Christ. Holy moly. I don't even know how I can stand up here and preach with the, with, with, where those guys lived. Waking up five in the morning every day, doing their Bible study, going to breakfast with their family, having a family devotion on the New Testament, going to work, preparing a message, studying, going and visit people, coming back home, eating dinner, having a family devotion, and then going back and studying the Word of God until he goes to sleep. And yet, I prepared my sermon Friday and Saturday. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't do anything all week. But my point is, is these men lived holy lives. They didn't have TV. They didn't have the radio. They didn't have an iPod. They didn't have a Wii or an Xbox. Our world has distracted us far from being what we could be in our walk with the Lord. Victorious Christian living, folks, is what I'm talking about. Yes, you can live through the power of Jesus Christ a victorious Christian life. And our example are not these 50 people we read in this book. Our example is Christ. And we all fall short of that glory. He lived the perfect life. He's our example. I want to preach like Him. I want to live like Him. I want to serve like Him. I want to grow up to be like Jesus. He's my hero. And we all need to want that. And starting today, by looking at 1 John 1.9, and leave here today with a clean slate. If you're here this morning you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you stand not a chance in this world. Oh, you'll feel comfortable out there. But when the end comes, you will receive your reward in full. But I tell you today, Jesus Christ came that you might have life. 
And He suffered on that cross at Calvary. And He paid your price on Calvary and took your place. You want to grow in Christ? You want to get to know this man, Jesus? You step out in faith and you say, Father, save me, I'm a sinner. And I know I can't save myself. My good deeds won't save me. Because the Bible says, it's for by grace we have been saved through faith. And this not of ourselves. But it's a free gift, lest no man boast. And you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And you can be used. And listen, those who are in Christ, 1 John 1.9 is for you. If you want to step to the next level in your spiritual walk with God, you confess your sins today. You don't hide them. You don't put them under a lampshade. You reveal them to yourself and you come to, you come to Christ and you confess your sins. And He is faithful and righteous to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And begin a journey like you've never had before of experiencing the victorious Christian life. Let us pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for who You are for what You've done and what You're doing. And I pray, God, that You send a revival into this community and that You reach out and bring people into this church and You allow us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. For there is no other hope in this world but You. I pray today that the Christians here would be honest with themselves in their evaluation. God, convict them of their hearts for their better, for your glory, for your honor. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.